You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. I'm your host, Jessica, and you've probably noticed this isn't dropping on our usual Wednesday schedule, but we really wanted to get this one ready and available as soon as possible, as our team hopes it supports leaders on the path forward during this unique time. Along with this podcast, we've curated and created several resources to help educators, leaders, and families get through the coming weeks. You can find them at gettingsmart.com slash gettingthrough. Today, we're sharing two school district success stories on the shift to remote learning after the outbreak of the coronavirus. In these schools, the buildings may have closed, but the learning has never stopped. Both of these superintendents have built great teams and great systems, and they are confident that education in their districts and beyond will emerge better than ever as a result of this crisis. First up is Tom Rooney from Lindsay Unified in California's Central Valley. For the last decade, teachers, called learning facilitators in Lindsay, have ensured learner success with a performance-based system that promotes agency, transparency, and learner goal setting. We've written extensively about the work in Lindsay, so check out the show notes for more information and links to our blogs. Hey, Tom Rooney, welcome back to the Getting Smart Podcast. Really glad to be here. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Tom, uh, Lindsay's famous for its uh, leadership in in personalized and competency-based learning. Uh, Give us a a quick overview of the core elements, at least uh, a month ago, pre-pandemic. You know, uh, we've been building our um, learner-centered, personalized system for about a decade now, and a couple of key core components um, that drive that system are, uh, number one, learner agency. When learners um, literally understand and know and believe and engage in a manner that is um, that they are the owners of their learning and that they are the drivers of that learning, um, that's a key piece. We, we create systems and structures that promote that. We train our staff to actually give learners ownership. Um, that's a foundational element. Another uh, core component is the transparency of the content and the knowledge and also the transparency of what mastery looks like. And this is transparency around um, the academic content that needs to be mastered, as well as the lifelong learning is what we would call it, or the personal excellence that needs to be demonstrated by learners at each level of their learning. Another core component is, is personalized goal setting where all of our learners are actively engaged in meaningful goal setting um, and then tracking their progress, monitoring their progress, getting feedback from their learning facilitator, and then adjusting their goals or celebrating their successes um, as they move through their learning. I'll remark quickly that uh, in the times that I've been to Lindsay, I've been able to stop uh, a number of learners wherever they are and just ask them what their goals are for the day, and they'll pull out their their, their goal sheet, and they can tell you uh, clearly what their goal is for the day, what they're working on, why it's important, what they need to do to move to the next level. Really great evidence of, of all three of those first points. Yeah. yeah I, I'm very proud of our team and, and, and our learners and what they're able to do as, it, as, they, as they move forward in their learning journey. The, um, just a, a couple of other key components I think it's important to recognize, though, is, is the leveraging of technology in a blended learning format. And, and what I mean by that is that there's plenty of um, face-to-face um, adult 
um, directed um, instruction, but it, it's we've learned and we've come become better and better at delivering our learning in more of a blended learning format where things that can and should most effectively be learned via technology are um, are delivered in that um, in, in that way of instructing and um, things that really need to have a, a person um, right there with them they're they're done in that format so um, and then one other element is and this is more recent in Lindsay uh, perhaps in the last couple of years is we've really moved towards personalized learning for the adults as well uh, this system transformation that we're a part of it's completely learner centered. But when we we begin to view all of us adults as learners as well, then then we begin to um, embrace those same areas of um, learner agency as adults, uh, content um, you know transparency as adults. What are the skills and dispositions um, and knowledge that we need to know in order to most effectively lead and most perfect most effectively facilitate learning in this type of environment? We will include uh, in the show notes uh, more detailed explanations of your uh, your program there. But uh, tell us what happened when the governor closed schools in California. Well, um, there was a couple of different uh, things that happened. Was uh, first of all, the the governor had actually closed the schools in California. Um, I know they do in many states, but but it's actually a local uh, decision. But the governor and set it up and uh, was was moving towards that and we were looking at this was going to be a two or three week um, you know school closure one of those weeks being an already scheduled spring break so we kind of went into a short-term preparation and then last Tuesday he he announced to the state that um, we should be understanding that schools will most likely be closed through the summer months and when when that statement was made, um, the, the Lindsay team went into a different mode of operation. We began to realize that um, we have a responsibility not to continue the learning for a couple of weeks, but we have a responsibility now to continue the learning for two or three or four months, and that we need to do this without um, without any type of um, delay or without any type of um, glitches, and so. Um, the, the team went into um, an operation, I mean the team, I mean our curriculum team, our leadership team, our learning facilitator team, a variety of different, um, the tech department, um, they went into really transforming the district into um, fully living out the vision that is called for it in our strategic design. And there's things such in our strategic design that say stuff that uh, in Lindsay, learning is 24-7. In Lindsay, all learners have a, has, have um, access to a device and the Wi-Fi 24-7. In Lindsay, the curriculum is online, so therefore our learners can access their learning. And so this required us to really um, ramp up those areas of our vision to ensure that when the schools closed in Lindsay, that we didn't cut off the lifeline of learning for our learners. Because for many of Lindsay learners, the school system is the lifeline for many elements of their life. It often, Tom, is the lifeline for food. It's the lifeline for connection. It's the lifeline, obviously, for learning. But for some, it's also the lifeline for love and the lifeline for hope and opportunity. 
And so our commitment in Lindsay is to make sure that we did not cut off the lifeline that many of our learners receive when the schools are open. And so what we decided to do is we shifted our message. Our message was that the schools in Lindsay did not close. What happened was our facilities closed. Our facilities closed and the school continued. And we just moved from being a district that was um, physically looked like a a um, regular school district to becoming a virtual district. So while we were preparing and planning for all of the details of closing the facilities or shutting down the schools, we were also preparing and planning for the reopening and the transformation of a new learning community, a virtual learning community that would be delivered on day one. And what we found because of the, you know, so all of our learners left um, last Tuesday. They, they left our learning communities. Everybody had a device. Every parent and learner had connectivity. There was a few who didn't, but within a couple of days that was covered. They all left with a personalized learning plan. And our learning facilitators began to engage, not all of them, but many of them began to engage in relevant virtual or distant learning with our learners the very first day that our facilities were closed. And so, um, and then what we did also is we began to really begin to have the conversations about every position in the district, whether you were a counselor, whether you were a site leader, whether you were an instructional aide, whether you were um, um, some level, some type of a specialist, um, whether you were a learning facilitator, whatever your role is, the challenge was, now, how do you complete the responsibilities of your role in a, in a virtual way? If you're a counselor, how do you continue to do that and reach out to some of our most vulnerable and support them? If you are a caseworker, how are you connecting with our families and making sure they have the resources that they need and that they deserve in this time of uncertainty and fear? If you are a learning facilitator, how are you prepared and how are you geared up to deliver effective, meaningful learning opportunities and connections with the learners that you serve. As a site leader, what are you doing to support learning facilitators and counselors and support staff to guarantee that our system remains in operation? And so Lindsay made that transition um, in a remarkable way due to the, the commitment, the deep level of commitment of our team at every level of the organization. And um, that, that's, that's a bit of what our journey has been like in the last few days anyway. Yeah, that's really a, a remarkable transition. Could you say a little bit more about what's different between elementary and secondary? Yeah, I, I mean, you always look at, you know, look at that differently in the, depending on what you mean by, by exactly by secondary. Um, I would say it's more different at like the K-1 or the K-2 level. And the reason it's, it's um, the, the core element that's different is that um, what learners are able to do on their own sometimes is is a little um, it's um, it, it's more limited at the lower ages and and or it requires uh, more support from the parents and so not only are there are the learners home learning but you have parents now who have a house full or you know have a few kids that didn't used to be home and the parents now become a much greater partner in the learning particularly at the lower levels. Um, and so we are committed to continuing to have outreach and support and connections with our parents. And then we're also being cognizant of the workload. 
cognizant of how much is the right amount of work that we can expect our learners to do in a virtual setting. It's not like school is open from 8 o'clock to 3 o'clock like it typically would be. The the variation of the, the hours vary um, greatly, and 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 the the number of hours may vary um, from from learning you know from from for learner from learner to learner or from learning environment to learning environment from learning facilitator to learning facilitator. But in the but in the end, it's um, it's um, being responsive to that, and and we're even moving towards like at the K two level, we're, we're moving towards. How are we going to leverage things such as guided reading in a virtual manner? I mean, it's not just putting learners on computers or giving them, you know, playlists to engage in, which is definitely part of what's going to happen. But how do we actually through, through, um, screencastify, through Zoom, through, um, variety of different, um, things, how do we actually connect with our learners face to face? And, and guide them in their learning journey and be there with them and be there with the parents in supporting them. Whereas as you, as we move up through the grades, there certainly is a greater level of independence on the part of um, learners and a greater level of, of um, personal responsibility, I think, that really falls um, more squarely on the shoulders of the learners and less so on those of the parents. So um, we have, um, in fact, however, um, our curriculum is completely transparent, and so exactly what learners need to know has already been defined, and and how they demonstrate that competency has already been defined. The um, you know through our empower um, our empower learner management system empower, we literally have thousands of playlists that are um, in every content area. Um, and um, that include um, academic vocabulary, that include um, English learner um, um, elements, that include um, um, direct instruction, that include um, centers or independent practice, that include places for feedback. Um, and so having built the Empower platform over these years has really prepared us to launch into this level of, of a guaranteed curriculum for all Lindsay learners, even in a virtual way. What can you say about uh, trying to meet the um, special needs of and, and learning differences? Yeah, that's a that, that's a great question, and probably um, most likely one of the greatest challenges that we will face. Okay, and so um, ways some ways that I know that that is happening is is one is our uh, our learning facilitators. There are those who work with learners with special needs, particularly our ed specialists, is what they refer to. Is they um, they did a lot of work those last few days to really prepare our learners that um, in a few days, um, you know, you're not going to be coming to school and and this is how we're going to do your learning. And so um, there was a lot of upfront work with those learners particularly, but I think there also is um, the connection with the parents of those homes is very very critical in enrolling the support of the parents. And then also um, providing ways simply for them to to connect with one another. So, f- for example, I think a powerful thing um, that can happen with, with learners who have uh, special needs is that simply having a Zoom call with the learning facilitator and seeing their face. And the learning facilitator or the ed specialist sharing, I'm here, I'm with you, this is what we're going to do together, life is going to be different right now. 
because for many of those learners, it's not just learning disabilities. Um, for many of them, there are, you know, severe behavioral issues or there are sometimes um, some some challenges that make it very, very difficult to to make the connections in a virtual way. But um, but our our team is committed to being creative and our team is committed to to finding whatever resources are needed um, to connect with those learners and help our learners um, to continue in their learning journey. And as you know, every IEP is different. Um, right. Every and and the response is going to be different based on what's called for in the IEP. Anything uh, special you're doing to keep seniors on track? Um, we haven't. I mean, we have some details that we still need to work out um, as far as like exactly. Um, is graduation, you know, any changes that are going to make. But the way we're looking at it, Tom, is that the learning has continued. The learning has continued. Those seniors know exactly what they need to demonstrate mastery in. I think there's a heightened level of support from our high school counseling team, our high school administrative team, that are being a little bit more closer with those learners. But they're they're putting it back in a certain sense on the learners and saying, this is a learner-centered system. This is all about you. Graduation requirements haven't changed. Graduation date hasn't changed. This is what you need to deliver on, and we are here to support you. When your learning facilitator sets up office hours, you better access them. When they set up a Zoom instructional lesson, you better access them. When when they are setting up a um and and providing you with Empower playlist or other learning opportunities, you need to take access and 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 really embrace those opportunities. Um, and so, but there definitely is a, there isn't anything different other than there's a heightened awareness and a stronger way to reconnect with them. Uh, Tom, how is this experience going to change Lindsay and maybe learning more broadly? I will tell you, Tom, this experience has absolutely already transformed what's going to happen in Lindsay in the future. And I'll tell you why. Part of it is because just today, we literally offered today a full virtual professional learning for 225 of our certificated staff. And what that means, here is 21 different breakout sessions, all done virtually. They were all about um, what are you going to do and how are you going to do, and these are the tools that you're going to need to actually build virtual learning um, opportunities and how to um, ensure that there is actual learning happening, systems of accountability, systems of community, systems of, of culture in a virtual uh, virtual classroom or virtual learning environment. And so what what this is forcing us to do is it's forcing us to become really good at this 24-7 learning. It's forcing us to learn the tools that are available to us via technology to connect, to communicate, to deliver instruction, to provide feedback. Um, and it's not just changing the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I haven't been the superintendent of a virtual district before. Well, I am now. And so it's changing, you know, how I lead and it's changing how um, other people in, in various roles um, are leading and or delivering their services um, and continuing their services going. So I believe that the result of this, when, when we come through this COVID-19, one thing is the Lindsay learners will have been learning throughout the entire experience. The second thing, the learning facilitators and the leaders and every adult in the system will have developed a level of competence that we probably never would have gotten to 
if it weren't forced upon us like this. And I think the the other thing that this will do on a broader scale is um, this experience, I believe, has truly called and sh- and put a bright bright a bright light. It has sh- shown a light upon the inequities that exist throughout our country with regard to access to the internet and access to knowledge and access to learning. And um, because how many learners, particularly children of poverty or in or in different situations, how many of them are simply shut off from learning right now? And I can tell you in Lindsay, they are not. And so when you look at this, this is going to change the, what's possible for learning. It's going to actually, all of the naysayers or all of the people who have been pushing back around learner-centered models or pushing back around uh, personalized learning or pushing back on the, the use of technology, I think this is going to change the mindset because everyone's going to be forced into virtual learning here. And whether it's for a few weeks or whether it's for multiple months, people are going to realize it worked and it's possible. And I think that in the end, in Lindsay, we will probably forever, from here on out, will always have the, the option of virtual learning. Um, because, um, because we're going to be doing it really well. We're doing it really well right now. And with each lesson, each day, each week, each month, we're going to get better and better and better at it. Um, and so I think the, um, there will, st- learners and staff and everybody throughout this nation is still going to walk back into their physical buildings. They're going to walk back into their physical buildings. They're going to go back into some of the traditional structures. Um, but I know for many places, they're going to say, wait a second. We learned to communicate, to instruct, to lead, to to provide service in a different way. What are those things that we don't need to go back to? What are those things that we should just move forward in? Um, time will tell. Time will tell, like on a national, international level, what this level, what this crisis produces. But I have a great level of optimism on on the way that it will. Um, I know for sure what's going to change in Lindsay, and um, I have a great level of opti- optimism as to what it's going to change throughout our nation. Tom Rooney, we appreciate your leadership in Lindsay and uh, and nationwide. It's you have a terrific team, and it sounds like they've really uh, stepped up, and, uh, and in some respects are hard at inventing the future of learning. Thanks for joining us for the podcast. Always glad to talk with you, Tom. Thanks to Dr. Rooney for joining us on today's episode. He's also featured in episode 176 called Schools Out, Lessons Learned from Lindsay. And in episode 205, our very own Rebecca Middles talked about helping to launch the competency-based work in Lindsay. Next up, we'll talk with Scott Rowe, superintendent of the Huntley's Community School District located in a northwest Chicago suburb. We first visited Huntley in 2016, about five years into their transformation, and were impressed with the high school blended learning program that allowed learners to earn autonomy and make decisions about their own learning. Two years ago, Huntley launched a competency-based micro-school. Both of these developments prepared Huntley to efficiently move learning online in the wake of the pandemic. Let's listen in as Scott Rowe describes the quick shift. Hey, Scott Rowe, welcome to the Getting Smart Podcast. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom, for inviting me. Scott, I had the good chance to visit you at uh, Huntley High a few years ago, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And, and I just appreciate that you've been a real uh, Illinois leader and national leader when it comes to, uh, to to blended and personalized learning. 
Um, I'd, I'd love to have you do the sort of three-minute version of what what is what does personalized learning uh, look like at Huntley High, or at least what what did it look like a month ago? Sure. Well, a month ago was was had been our reality for the better part of a decade. Uh, we started defining our own way of blended uh, back in 2011, um, allowing students to take uh, to take courses uh, in a blended format where they were where they were in class two to three days a week. And then uh, the other couple of days, they had the ability just to work online. And that originally began in a, in a very traditional high school. And we still are a very traditional high school with some, uh, some ed reform components that are trying to break through the walls of that, uh, that ancient uh, school system. But, but Blended is really, it's, it's evolved. And it's, we started with 100 kids back in 2011. Um, and as of as, as of today, our high school of of more than three thousand students, about twenty six hundred of them take at least one course blended. Uh, what's beautiful about it is there's a, a traditional counterpart for every blended class. So it's a hundred percent optional for our students. It's a hundred percent optional for teachers uh, to take their class blended. Um, as it became more popular, our students like that community college feel that our high school provides them. Uh, that time management training with a safety net is what we like to call it and uh, allows them the ability to to really take ownership. And that student agency has become a huge component um, of our students and how they structure their day, yeah. whether it be. It's got a, it really, it seems like a uh, like an earned autonomy model. It's, it's sort of an earned and negotiated autonomy, right? Kids can get more free time as they demonstrate the ability to, to use it well. And that's, that, that's really evolved as, as you know, I'm thinking of a couple of teachers in particular who have, um, have taken this blended concept even further. And if a student is able to show they have the ability to, to own their learning and, and still meet our very rigorous learning standards, um, then that attendance in class and that face-to-face time becomes a little bit more as needed check-ins than requirement to be in class because it's really an attack on the on the five hour five clock hour day that Illinois has imposed upon us. I want to note that you converted a gymnasium to a really cool learning hub so you this is it's also been a change in the physical space that students can learn in class or if uh, on those days when they're not in class they can come to school and be in the learning hub and and so they can do some classes in the hub and some in their classroom, right? So it's been a physical change as well. Yes, Tom, and I'm glad you brought that up because that that physical transformation was actually a really important point in in the 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 transformation of our high school. Uh, we were we were awarded a a thirty six million dollar capital improvement grant from um, from an early two thousands construction that we did. Um, you know, Huntley was one of the fastest growing communities in the state of Illinois, as well as the nation there for a while during the housing boom of the late nineties and early two thousands. And, uh, we went from a, a small rural farm town with 1500 students K through 12, um, to 10,000 students, um, and, and having nine schools. So with that grant, we were able to convert our high school and, and transform the physical, uh, physical makeup and create more. Uh, student collaboration space fo- centered around this this hub uh, that has some collaboration breakout rooms, very few books, and a lot of uh, study carols, open tables for students just to do work. Um, yeah, and then, project rooms yes. all the way around it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And then tables throughout our entire commons area. Because uh, at any given point, five to eight hundred kids are hanging in the in the commons, working on things or um, just hanging out, talking. Some kids take a nap, which is still hard to get used to, but it's what they're choosing to do with their time that they don't have to be in class that we have to become okay with. Yeah, uh, Scott. Since I was there, you launched a competency pilot. I think you have a about a hundred students in in. Um that are working on a, a competency-based progressions. Is that right? Yes. Uh, under uh, Tony Sanders, when he was our state superintendent, uh, not Tony Sanders, excuse me, Tony Smith, um, when he was our uh, state superintendent a few years ago, uh, he opened up a competency-based pilot uh, for the state of Illinois. And we were one of the first 10 schools to jump into, uh, to into that pilot. It was, it was a logical progression for us. You know, competency-based education is something that I had been paying attention to uh, since early years of attending INA Cole and, and learning a little bit about it. And, uh, and I was the high school principal at the time. And as we, as we embarked on that, we had formed some great relationships with you know, people like Rose Colby, who provided us, we used her book as a, as a foundation of the, just the shift in the structure of how to build a competency. Um, and it's evolved. We have, uh, we're, we're in toward the end of year two of, of actual having students involved. Uh, it's rolled up as kind of a micro school where uh, we have about uh, a little over a little a little under 200 students freshmen and sophomores involved in in totality right now. Uh, it's going really well. Our students report um, report that the structure allows them to connect with their teachers on a deeper level. You know, kind of like blended, we didn't expect that time management skills and and student preparedness for college was going to be one of the emerging successes. Um, in our competency pilot we didn't expect, we call it Vanguard vision. We didn't expect that students would report a deeper connection with their teacher and a stronger sense of social emotional support that they have because they have, they have downtime. It feels like to them where they can just talk through, through learning with their teacher in a more relaxed environment, but then also they can, is, can get is it the they are getting, Instead of more whole group time, they're getting occasional one-on-one uh, -on -one time with their teacher. Is that the main reason? Absolutely, that's absolutely it. Uh, because we have you have a, a a differing group of students that the pace is what is the center point of the entire pilot. Where our students, if they're able to work faster, they do so. If they're able, if they need to work slower, then that that structure is there. We don't have to, you know, hit a, a unit assessment on a certain date because everybody else on the on the level is doing so. Um, so that flexibility has really allowed students to understand it. And our, our goal is obviously, you know, depth of knowledge and, and increase a, a deeper level of, of not only agency, but uh, the valuing of the learning. But um, they are. We have students that in small groups that flow between classrooms without much of a schedule um, where learning is prioritized, not sitting in desks and rows and, and marching when a bell goes off. But pacing is the real challenge here, right, Scott? Because if, if you care about equity, then uh, competency doesn't mean just letting kids that can go faster. It means uh, helping all kids succeed. And so when you find students that are, are struggling uh, to, to try to create time and support to keep them on pace is really critical, isn't it? It absolutely is. And that, and that was actually one of the areas um, – that was one of our biggest struggles. It is still one of our biggest struggles. And as we have, have uh, kind of evolved through this process, we actually added um, 
added a uh, uh, an intervention time for just our competency based based group of students who were finding that they were falling further and further behind. And after year one, they had not met some of their their ninth grade um, competencies. So they we needed to find and create a mechanism for them to fill those gaps so that they could achieve the um, the credits that they needed to be technically a sophomore. So we've had to really uh, be creative. It's pushed our system a little bit, which has been a really good thing. Um, but pace is something we continue to struggle with. The kids that are ready to go ahead of the of the curve, they do so pretty pretty seamlessly. It's the students who are struggling in terms of, um, I guess, m- being self starters as an area that uh, and ma- and managing the pace of those students and supporting them, where we've had to become a little bit more creative. So uh, what happened last week when the governor closed schools? <laughs> well, our world came to a screeching halt would be, uh, would be one thing. Uh, we actually called school uh, for, the, for, the, for last week about three hours before the governor informed us that he was going to. Um, there was a, a small contingency of yeah, 25 or 30 schools on the North Shore and, and out towards us around Chicago that, uh, that were – we're growing uncomfortable with the trend. We were hoping that the governor was going to uh, be in line with where we were. And we were, we were, we felt we were at a point where we had to do it um, not to put pressure on him in any way, but to just do it because our community was beginning to demand it. Uh, and he of course was, was thinking the same thing and, and had, had a conference call around lunchtime and told us that he was going to uh, going to make the call, but it, it put us in a position where, we uh, we were going to have to go and, and be ready for for what's being I widely called e-learning now, and we had been preparing a school board presentation to go through the process of, of getting approval to use that for emergency days uh, for next year. Um, so we we had ourselves pretty prepared. We've been one to one since 2013, so we've had you know six or seven years of being um, of tinkering with with technology in the classroom, the use of devices to drive learning. And we felt pretty good about what was going to happen. Um, so it was more about the responding to um, being safe than it was a fear of what were we going to do if we weren't in school. Um, and it, 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 it has it's gone really, really well. Um, the only the challenges that we face are the fact that information changes about every 15 minutes. And, and last week was no was no different. Uh, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind of it's been a whirlwind of a month in Illinois. That's for sure. So uh, tell tell me how things are going at the elementary level and the secondary level. Maybe a little bit of uh, noting some of the differences. Sure, sure. So we'll start secondary because secondary was a little bit easier. The structures have already been in place. Uh, you know, we use PowerSchool Learning as our learning management system, formerly Haiku. Um, so our teachers were going to be pushing out their online assignments through the platform that they and their students were already familiar with. Um, you know, if anyone is, is listening to this and are, are contemplating a learning management system, it really is the place that you have to begin before you can, can do much anything else in terms of um, bringing technology to the classroom. It's your, it's your standard. Um, everything runs through the learning management system. So at six through 12, it was more around parameters because we were concerned and, and concerned that, concerned with what, what kind of a burden was this going to place on our parents who were now going to be homeschooling their children. And I can tell you after homeschooling, as I transitioned to home officing, 
after uh, working with my kids on, on their e-learning activities, uh, it's much easier to teach other people's kids than it is to teach your own. I think parents around the country are, uh, are realizing that and had, having a great appreciation for what teachers do on a daily basis. But uh, um, so six through 12, it was, it was almost, you know, business as usual. We just had to put some parameters around what our teachers could push out in terms of the volume of the work. Um, because we weren't sure how it was going to go to me our first time, we put the parameters that six through 12, we'd like you to push out no more than 20 to 30 minutes of, um, of actual uh, work for students per class period. Because um, we didn't want our students, we weren't trying to replicate the school day. We wanted to focus on our learning outcomes instead of seat time. At the elementary level, uh, we pull, actually pulled our instructional coaches uh, with our curriculum department a couple of days prior to this as, I, as we knew that the, the call was coming. Um, but we had a feeling we, need, we needed to be sure that our elementary was where our concern was. Uh, elementary in our school district remains um, not traditional, but, but a little bit more traditional. I, we, we, we still hold uh, the, the, the learning to read and write and, and understanding basic math facts. Um, I'm, not, I'm not to the point where I think that can be done um, as, as, as we conduct high school and, and middle school. There's, there's a very strong need for teacher and face-to-face time at that level, in my opinion. So we, um, as we built, we built a we called it a, a learning hub, a learning, uh, like a, a landing spot. And in that landing spot, we created uh, grade level activities and we pushed out uh, three literacy activities that were 15 to 20 minutes each. Um, and then three math activities that were three to, or 15 to 20 minutes each. And that, that constituted their work day. Um, it doesn't seem like it's not a lot of time, but given e-learning is designed um, as, as the, is the replacement of an emergency day or a snow day. It's not about quantity of time. It's about remaining engaged in the process of learning and engaged in what matters and, and, and at their level of what, what we're pushing. So some of those activities looked like, um, you know, read a book and then take a picture of the book and upload it to Seesaw and then record yourself explaining the central theme and message of that book was one of the activities I did with my second grader. Um, and then she had to practice sight words for 15 or 20 minutes. And then the third activity was uh, read a second book um, and write some, uh, some questions that you'd like to ask about um, that theme to show that you comprehended it and wanted to ask back to the teacher to learn, go a little deeper into, into the learning. So the activities were really nice because they, they brought the parent in and you didn't have to have any basic training or any, any education training to, to support your child. But the activities were also, there was some higher order thinking there in terms of not just uh, rote memorization. Um, so it, it, it was good. My kids, I can speak from a personal perspective, were, were engaged in, in the right ways. I surprised them, my fifth grader who sometimes does not love school. He woke up every morning and, and before we were really downstairs and settled in, he was already on and engaged. He loved um, jumping on and, and, and learning on his own terms online. And then uh, it's evolved as the week went on. And I saw our elementary and secondary people taking advantage of, uh, of Zoom's great offer where they waived uh, all fees for 60 days for educators. Um, and, and our teachers were beginning to evolve, whether it be Google Hangouts or Zoom, they were needing that face-to-face interaction with students. And they were checking in on progress and reviewing some of the lessons and asking questions about how they had gone. Um, and then what was really interesting is our teachers 
who missed seeing kids every single day, we've had a steady stream of um, just teacher shout out videos from the schools being put together uh, on Wii Video, uh, where they they put you know them, themselves reading a uh, a snippet of you know I miss the kids and I hope you keep working to to background music. It's been a really interesting process. Our system has been pushed, um, but the feedback that we've received from parents and the survey that we sent out to them asking what's the experience been like for you and what is it that you're missing that we can provide. There's been very little missing. Uh, which is a testament, you know, testament to my team and, and the teachers. The teachers have been absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, I could not have asked for more from from what the teachers of District 158 have provided to our to our students and the families. That's really exciting, Scott. Uh, what what are you and your team doing about special needs students and medically fragile students? Well, there there have been there have been two two really important. Um, components to this process that have been a struggle for us. There's the designation of quote unquote, what is an act of God and what does that mean for services that we provide for, for grading. Um, and that that's caused a little bit of confusion in the state of Illinois that I know that they're working on fixing, but you know, the act of God came down and, and it was designed and, and we were informed by the Illinois state board of education that act of God meant um, the school days are not made up. And students, was, it was optional for them to engage in their learning and no grades could be, uh, could be counted because the days technically didn't count as student attendance days. Uh, then a couple of days later, it was clarified that student grades could not hurt their current standing, could only help their current standing. Now, I'm sure educators listening to this could imagine what high schoolers did with that information. Um, but we took the stance of our expectation as, as District 158 is that you are engaged in your learning and you remain engaged. Um, and we had over 80, you know, about 85% participation rate. So I could not be happier with that. Um, as for special needs students, um, you know, the Department of Education on the national level, we, were, we waited for their guidance. Um, and I think there was a general hope that some relief was going to be provided in terms of, of some of the mandates of the things that um, that we have to do when we're in session. Uh, and that, that guidance has come out on a, at a couple of different layers. And most recently, um, no relief was given. So the expectation of educators is that uh, student minutes are met as written in the IEPs. So because these were active God days, there was some leeway on, on what, was, what had to be met and, uh, and what we tried to meet. So of course, we want to support our learners and, and continue to reach out and support them academically. As we leave, we're currently on spring break. So when we get back to school next Monday, uh, we're on remote learning again uh, through the 8th of, of, uh, of April at least. Um, so we'll be engaging at a much deeper level with our students uh, since we can go beyond this quote-unquote act of God days and figure out how we can provide those minutes, um, whether that be through, uh, through Zoom and Google Hangouts or trying to work through some of the bugs of the logistics of, of confidentiality to ensure that um, you know, social work sessions or uh, speech therapy sessions can take take place with technology. Um, you know, our medically fragile. That's a little bit. That's a little bit different. Um, you know, we, we'll, for our students who uh, are in some of our self-contained program, we'll, we'll we'll provide some compensatory minutes to those students. And whenever things get back uh, back to closer to to normal, uh, we'll likely extend our. Uh, our ESY or extended school year summer school programming for them to 
to help uh, continue working towards those goals, as well as provide some feedback and, and guidance to parents as some activities they can do that their their IEP goals are at the forefront of what we want to help them accomplish. And for some of those students, it's more about life skill than hitting a uh, an academic standard. You doing anything special to keep uh, juniors and seniors on track for post secondary planning? That is the uh, the question of the day for sure. That's everyone's concern are all the the celebrations of graduation and um, and prom and things like that. Um, you know, at the high school level, the work that's being pushed out um, through our our learning management system is definitely going to help them in terms of meeting our expectations and standards for uh, the credits that they need to graduate. Uh, as for you know things like ceremonies, we're still working our best and waiting waiting for some some guidance there. Um, the SAT in Illinois, I believe is scheduled for April 14th. Um, that's currently we're scheduled to be back. Uh, however, I don't think anyone really expects that we're going to be back at that point. Um, so not, we'll receive a waiver in terms of testing from the state or from the feds about, uh, for, for ESSA, but we will have to figure out how we can get a national SAT in front of all of our students so that they can, uh, uh take it one more time or, uh, meet that junior level requirement. That is a graduation requirement in the state of Illinois. So we may have a lot of kids next year uh, taking that mandated SAT. Uh, we meant to offer it to juniors and seniors. There'll be a lot of creative planning for sure when it comes to that. Scott, uh, last question. I'm curious what you think this experience will mean for you and Huntley and maybe even more broadly going forward. You know, I, I think, Tom, when I started to to learn about INA Cole and, and getting smart a number of years ago and, and became following, uh, you know, your team's work, um, you know, and seeing the, what's being pushed around the, the ed reform community. Uh, it's really, it's driven a whole lot around of my philosophy of, of education and what we ought to be doing as educators. And, and, and my love for, for the work that's being done in Huntley and, and, and pushing the boundaries of what we can do in a, in a traditional high school and, and middle school and elementary, um, I think we're to the point that what we're all experiencing right now, we're realizing that we can do education differently. And even if it's going to, even if it continues to evolve and looks nothing like what we're experiencing now amidst this crisis, what we're going to realize is, is we can do it differently and we don't have to do it the way it's been done for the last 150 years. I genuinely believe that this, this awful event that we're experiencing right now um, is going to be the catalyst for change for the public school system. And I, you know, I've long believed that the public school system is where we need to be paying our reform attention to that um, you know, charter schools and a lot of these uh, uh, startups with businesses have been great because they've pushed, pushed the thinking of what school can be. But I've always believed that if change is really going to happen, it has to happen in the public school system. Uh, and I believe we can do it. Uh, but I think that this is going to open the eyes of a lot of people about what students need in terms of instruction and what they don't need in terms of instruction. And what they don't need is they don't have to physically be in a building for seven hours a day, sitting in front of a teacher um, for 47 minute periods, uh, relying on that teacher to be the source of all information um, and school can change. And, and this may be the, the breakdown that we need to start to get a, get rid of the schedules to start to get rid of a typical bell schedule. And, and let's focus on outcomes of learning 
because we can do that and learning can happen anywhere. And this is the perfect example of that. Scott Rowe, we appreciate your leadership in Huntley. Uh, we'll let you get back to uh, another week of uh, planning for remote learning, but uh, we appreciate your, your local and national leadership. Thanks for being with us, Scott. Absolutely appreciate the invitation. Thanks to Scott Rowe for joining us on such short notice. Like Tom Rooney, we appreciate his leadership. Both of these education leaders were proactive in crisis and quickly rallied their teams to do the best that they could to support every learner right now. They spotted challenges and built solutions to promote equity. Scott noted after the call that they quickly made sure that every family needing a Wi-Fi hotspot got one and that every single student that wanted two meals a day could pick them up. Both districts do a great job of supporting teachers as leaders and learners. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. If you're looking for more resources and ideas to get through this unique time, check out gettingsmart.com slash getting through. We update it daily with new content and hope it can be a valuable resource for families, teachers, and leaders. That's it for today, listeners. Before you go, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. And if you like what you heard, be sure to share this episode with a friend or colleague who may find it valuable. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Jessica signing off. 